Welcome to Backstage at Brick, your friendly neighborhood podcast recorded here at Brick Arts Media, all about what's happening at Brick in the Performing Arts Department, on stage, backstage, behind the scenes, otherwise. I'm your host, BJ Evans, and I'm so excited because the Brick Lab artist season has started. So for everyone listening, you know the Brick Lab residency program is our incubation program for performing artists in dance, theater, multidisciplinary, performance art, um, really any performing arts that that has questions that need to be answered is what I like to say. And so the season has begun. The very first Brick Lab is loading in today, September 16th, and that Brick Lab is called La Negra, a theatrical installation, an event to honor your dead. And I am so excited that I have the writer-performer and the director here in the podcast studio with me. And I would love for you two to introduce yourselves. Maybe we'll start over here to my left. Introduce mm-hmm. yourself and who you are on the project. Hi, I'm May Ann Teo, and I'm the director. Beautiful. I'm Raquel Almasan. I'm the writer-performer. Thank you both. Mm-hmm. And the I have a very special treat for my listeners is that... Um, Mayan Teo, the director, is going to be my co-host today. Hello, guest co-host. Hello, I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled, too. <laughs> um, and so, Raquel, you are getting the, the attention of two people who really, really want to hear from you. Oh, incredible. <laughs> so, um, I... One, I mean, one of the reasons that is because I was like, do I really need to be on this podcast? Raquel has so much incredible knowledge. Let's just hear her talk. I love that. I love it. <laughs> so... So this is this is how we get to pull even more amazing things out of this woman. Good. <laughs> and you know, it's a it's like it's a thing. Like having having a podcast. There's a reason why everyone has a podcast. It's because it's amazing. I feel so powerful and important on a microphone. Like who doesn't? And so like it is a thing of like I want to ask Raquel questions and I want to hear from you. And uh, you know, May and I have talked about this a lot of just like the daily like um, self-reflection of like, it's not about me. It really is not about me. And so mm-hmm. um, I appreciate you so much, May and stepping mm-hmm. in and helping me to not make it about me. <laughs> 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 so I would love to turn it over to you, May Ann. Um, I um, consider you very much part of the Brick family, having directed a piece last year in the Brick Lab residency. And so you're familiar with the podcast. You're familiar with what we do here. Um, but I tell you are obviously part of the family as well. But I think it's a really nice, mm-hmm. like, um, having you back in the studio in a slightly different role. So I would really just love to turn it over to you and and hear what you have to say and what you have to ask Raquel. Great. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, I think that what I love working with you um, about Raquel is that it always comes from the deepest possible place, Mm -hmm. that the work that you make is not just about personal experience, though it goes very far deep into personal experience, but a deep study, a deep thinking, um, a deep contemplation about our histories, um, and and a deep spiritual uh, investigation, always. And I guess the first question that I'd love to ask you is, like, mm-hmm. where does this come from? Where does La Negra come from, knowing that it comes from so many different places? Oh, that's... That's such a tough question. Looking about like where where did La Negra, the impetus to, to first start this piece? Um, uh, I think six or seven years ago, um, I was in a a place for myself contemplating um, my own path of violence versus my my path of spirituality, and that um, 
I think what the world was telling me that I had to pick one or the other. And what I mean by violence, I don't also, I don't necessarily mean just like physical violence, but emotional and mental and spiritual violence, and that um, somehow I needed to choose one or the other in order to continue my path to empowerment. And I I started to really gain strength in a lot of the women um, that I was hearing about, um, these infamous women that were making, you know, doing these societal acts of that seem very masculine, um, but, you know, particularly in Latin America, um, with a number of, you know, female activists that were being murdered um, because they were moving through the world like men, right? And that they were taking back their position um, of power as as women by, you know, basically turning, picking up the weapons that had been used against them and picking it up and using it. And I think, quote unquote, moving through the world like a man. And I started to, you know, hear about these women to me seem more like demigods. Um, and so it was, for me, merging both these worlds for myself, my history of violence and spirituality, when I found um, La Santa, when I first saw an image of La Santa Muerte, to me, she just represented multiplicity and that everything that I was as a woman could live inside La Santa and that there was no parts of me that um, would be judged by her, mm. that it was it, all parts of myself were um, were being accepted by her. Um, and then I think that's that's why so many millions of people in Mexico and other parts of you know Central America have come to find solace in her and peace in her, even though they're living in amidst such incredible violence. Or because they are living with mm-hmm. that. Can you tell us more about La Santa Muerte, the the movement? It feels like a movement. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. There's a lot of different origin stories of, like, where did Las, how did the La Santa Muerte emerge? Um, In the last 20 years, I believe in the year 2000, is when um, huge um, drug busts were were being enacted, and they would find these, you know, statues of uh, La Santa, or a skeleton figure next to Malverde, which was another, um, became like a folk folklore, um, you know, image or a, a, a thing to worship to that that particularly drug dealers and very, very well-known drug dealers had in their compounds. And this kind of image that we see of the skeleton woman then had this, like, you know, resurgence in the in the community, but it was very much associated with the underground, you know. Um, I think La, La Santa, when she first emerged, um back into the culture, popular culture, was associated with drug dealers, with prostitutes, killers, um, the, those in society that um, were were in an act, in a way, in a in relationship to death in a different way than the the majority of, of society. Uh, but for, for me, connecting the history of La Santa, um, for me, there are those who say that the followers of La Santa Muerte, that's now up to 5 million people. They're saying that they're, I mean, and it's it's the quantitative data on La Santa is there's some scholarly research, um, but when you have the majority of, like, I would say, you know, there's been videos on CNN and there's been a lot of kind of um, media uh, attention put on La Santa and some actually quite good documentaries. But I think that they still, they call it a cult. They refer to it as a cult. And I cringe when I hear that word, 
uh, because they say, oh, La Santa has no connection to pre-colonial times or to from either, to Aztec practice. So there's um, a, a specific uh, part of the world of the dead called Mictlan, um, which in Aztec context was a place where people who died of natural birth or, 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 or who died in childbirth or who died of natural causes would go to this particular land. And in order to, to reach this place, those that were still in the, in the realm of the living would, would give offerings. And we see, this, we see this connection to the worship of death itself, that's pre-colonial, and then we, you know, you see the transformation when all the terrible events um, that colonialism caused in the in the society, and then you see Catholicism, right? So then, I th- La Santa is, I think, an amalgamation of Aztec. For myself, I believe that it's a form of indigenous practice. It's a colonial practice because, to me, La La Santa is, you see her draped in not only what we would traditionally call like an indigenous figure, but it's also our, another reimagining of the Virgin Mary itself. Um, so a lot of La Santa followers were are Catholic or entered into this practice starting off as Catholic practitioners like myself. Um, I think, uh, and I, don't, I may get some shit for this, but I think that any, you know, any, any Latina female that seeks to break outside of that particular role has to concede with Catholicism. And uh, um, there's a particular awakening or rejection of parts of Catholicism that I think limit womanhood. And I think La Santa is an extension of that, saying that the Virgin Mary plays a very specific role and that Catholicism has often been used to and is still being used as a form of controlling Latinx people, you know, there, you know, the separation between church and state is still not present um, in many um, in many cases. So I, I think that La Santa is also this political resurgence of taking back in indigenous practice and then also creating a new practice. You know, like you were saying, in response to um, the level of violence um, that. That people are living with in a, in, a, in a daily way, then death is a daily practice, mm-hmm. right? Because death culture it becomes popular culture. So um, I think the La Santa is is, is serving many purposes in, in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks mm-hmm. like Ben Rojas, your Afrenda um, installation is artist, is here. So um, I'm just gonna vamp mm-hmm. and. Um, everyone can hear the sounds of the door opening. Come in, Ben. We're just going to keep rolling because that's fun to do. Have a seat. Grab, a, grab your headphones. Grab a microphone. And I'm going to just remind everyone to really get, get up on that microphone. Oh, okay. Hey. Hi. How are you? Hi. Hi. Uh, can you just introduce yourself real quick and let us know what role you're playing on um, the piece? That we're talking about sure. um, hi everyone I'm Ben Rojas I'm a visual artist um, and I create ofrendas which are altars um, for the day of the dead and here for La Negra I will be making a uh, I guess creating part of the set design and creating an ofrenda for 
La Negra. Thank you. So I don't know if you knew this or not, Ben, but Mayan is our co-host today. Oh, hi. Yes. So (laughs) I'm just facilitating, making sure Mm -hmm. everyone gets introduced and and the intro and the outro happens. Uh, So um, apologies for the interruption, Mayan, um, but you have your full (laughs) team here. So um, please take it Mm -hmm. back. So we were just talking about... Um, La Santa and mm. death practice, right? Mm. And, and thinking about that, that's something that's always on my mind at heart as somebody who practices a little bit in Tibetan Buddhism. And um, it's, it's very much part of, of, of how um, I think about how to live. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a way, it's mm-hmm. both and mm. uh, that happens. And I'm really interested if you could talk a little bit more about how your friend does function like how they work, like break down what these things that are around that come onto the ofrenda, like what are the meanings of them for you? Um, and how do you, how do you think about constructing um, a place and this particular portal? Mm. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned portal because that's like the first thing I kind of think of when I create an ofrenda. Um, it is a, a portal I always see it as as a meditation when we create this space, this energy to honor our ancestors. Um, and it is it is so many things, and it can take so many different forms. Um, there is a a traditional way that a lot of people follow, especially within um, the Americas. But I am I am of the school that I'm like whoever made it first they were breaking some kind of tradition, you know? So I always see, like, my ofrendas as kind of a breaking of a little bit of tradition, which I don't know if it's okay. I hope it's okay. <laughs> I'm like, the the intent is what is what is super important. What's what's your intent with this ofrenda? What is your intent with honoring your ancestors? Um, what is your intent with the audience that's looking or involved in it or helping create it? Like, what's the energy that you're trying to make and so that always to me is like one of my goals like what's the intent with this ofrenda what is the energy that I'm trying to put out there because um, there's so much history and within that kind of death um, I want to say culture mm-hmm. that it's like for me from where I come from where my where my parents my parents are from El Salvador it's in Central America and so I feel there's like a whole new kind of death culture. Um, it's like the re- like revisiting. It's like this is like our second, third wave of, co- wave of colonialism within Central America. And it's like different people now. It's different forces. It's different energy. It's, it's a whole lot of stuff happening that we did not even think about, you know, many years ago. But I feel like now it's like, hmm, how can we... How can we revisit this and honor some things that are really complicated? You know, um, honoring our ancestors that may have been uh, not the best people. You know, how do we honor when it's such a culture of violence in many places, especially in Central America and in Mexico? Like, how do we how do we still keep the the right kind of intent, the mm-hmm. right kind of energy. And when it's like, can be a re- 
like some of the stuff that I feel that Raquel's been kind of including in this production is some really heavy stuff that is like super violent, you know? Um, but it's the reality and I think it's going to be really hard for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I think, you know, this idea of who has the right to be holy, you know, mm-hmm. we say La Santa is like the holy death and that uh, La Santa has been embraced um, that they say by those that have been discarded by society and um, when I think like we were saying that La Santa embraces all and um, all that history mm. and all of those you know when when the, an act of violence is committed or a, a quote unquote a crime is committed um, La Santa embraces that all um, and I, th- it re- I think it, it creates this new way of like having to worship because this idea of militarized violence um, before, you know, you have one wave of colonialism and then you're seeing, e- even for us, I think here mm. in the Americas, um, in the United States, you know, you have followers, um, I think mostly located in Queens. There's a very, very strong community here. And I think that how do you deal with the colonialism of being in the United States and having this this duality between my ancestors, you know, like our family coming from, my family coming specifically from Costa Rica, how do I maintain my practice, my past, my, you know, my connection to my ancestors? And then also how do I live in this um, very, a world that is trying to sterilize my culture every day and that every day mm. that passes. Mm. And I think for me, that's why La Santa is, is a, really a form of uh, cultural resistance, spiritual resistance. Um, and it, it, and anti-colonialism. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, and and that's why the Catholic Church fears her, and not why the government fears her. And when I see her, it's, it's the it's a female, female deity. It's uh, why do we fear her? Why do we feel, um, um, moving away from patriarchy? Why do we why do we desperately fear, the um, the feminine divine? And I think that for me, when I see grown men, who are hardened or you can see that they have been through so much violence. When I see tears in their eyes and I see them on their knees, I said, this is, this is not a masculine energy. This is a feminine energy. And I feel that this is the turn from patriarchy to matriarchy that we so desperately need. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I agree 100%. <laughs> I also find it really interesting that if you really look at who Jesus hung out with, mm. it were also the discarded <laughs> right mm-hmm. it was it was that and somehow we change in our yeah. ways of thinking about what right and wrong is and then mm-hmm. capitalism comes in and then all of a sudden your religion looks very different from the source and so maybe mm-hmm. because this is something that is like brought back now there is something closer to the source of it mm-hmm. that they are finding yeah and i think there's like i guess uh, there is an entry point for for people of any cultures, because I think ev- everyone can relate to a um, a strong female presence in religion that was um, erased from mm. yeah. from the for the significance of yeah. of of spirituality, and I think that yeah. you know I think all cultures have that. So so this is a lot, mm-hmm. and we're making it not into theater, but we're making it with theater. <laughs> how are we doing that? <laughs> like, can someone help? How, how are we, question. how are we doing? Yeah. You, do you know what I mean? Like this is such yeah. a, you know, yeah. and, and, 
And I, I've been loving the process because it would be like, wait, what is happening? Raquel, tell us about the history of, you know. And, and it's been really a beautiful process. And I think that's that, mm. that um, I'm so excited about how people get to experience something mm. that comes from all of this questioning and deep thinking about this. So, like... How are you thinking about this as an experience? Like what? I think it's fascinating because I did not, whenever I write plays, I never think, I first, you know, I hate walls. Mayanne knows that I hate walls. I really hate them. And uh, most theaters have walls. And, and so. Thanks, structural you know, integrity. You, know, it, oh, you mean actual walls. Actual walls. <laughs> I really hate like, I, was like, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind like to break down the walls <laughs> and the barriers. <laughs> so like, oh, I really She's want like, to. like, no, I don't like that wall. I don't it's like walls flat. at all. So um, I, I, I'm always, I think, fighting against. You know, when say when someone says you wrote a play, immediately it was it's something that it already is is forced to be conformed within these walls, and so uh, I I try not, I really try not to limit myself um, because there's already so much you know playwriting in America. I think it's so reduced. There's a lot of reductive qualities to what people are doing. So I think when I first started to create this piece, it was more uh, more like a world and how do you create sacred space. In a sterile space, because it is we are in, in uh, every our environment, whether it's gentrification, whether it's capitalism, um, eradication of, of of indigenous lands, it's a sterilization. So for me, I also look in theater. I walk in the theaters are already in a, many ways already sterile places. So when I was writing, thinking about how do I write for this experience, is how do I make a sacred space out of a, of a, out of a drug compound. Mm. How do I make a sacred space out of a place that is clearly da- you know dangerous? And when I have seen altars that just that come up and pop up in the most dangerous and brutal of places, and mm. that that and that that ofrenda that altar remains yeah. untouched, and that I said that. That is theater. Mm. That is theater. And in theater belongs to all of us. It belongs yeah. on the outside. You know, when I, to me, I drew, I, that's what drew me in. And uh, when I first saw, you know, a little Santa statue with a flower in the name of someone who had passed, mm-hmm. I said, oh, that's, that's the space. Yeah, that's, that's the theater. Place. That's, that's ofrenda, theater. you know, because mm-hmm. they're making an offering. And that's what I love about it. It can pop up anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's the intent behind it. As crazy as, like, for example, a neighborhood can be, it'll be like a moment. That'll be a little sacred space. It'll be like nobody touches this. Nobody messes with the balloons. Nobody messes with the candles. or mess with the picture because that's your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how sacred it is. And that's dope to me. I love that. Mm-hmm. That people would just be like, we're just going to put it together. Mm-hmm. No one's going to say who's in charge. No one's going to, oh, it, it just pops up. Mm-hmm. And it's like everyone knows. And it'll stay there for the longest. No people will come and clean it up. Yep. It'll just stay there. You know, yeah, and that's and that's sacred space, you know, and that's a that's we don't re, we don't have sacred spaces anymore. Um, you, you, even if you walk around the, the, the modern streets, the places to worship or to be spiritual are designated. Now we have to go into the space to be sacred. Oh, God mm. lives here mm. on on Eighth Avenue. Where was it? Where was it? The, the church that burned down. Como se llama el 
the, the Notre Dame, no? Oh, no, yeah. The Notre Dame. Yeah. And Ben and I were, you know, looking at the <laughs> photos of it burn, and I said, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> burn to the ground. You know, goodbye. Um, because for me, that's, that's the designated space of power, not spirituality, right? So I feel like burn it down because then we see what, what is the spirit going to create from that? How mm. are we going to find other places to worship and that we have to find that sacred space, that spirituality, because it's created a divide in all of us that now I'm reserved my spirituality. I'm going to spend time with my spirituality in this space, you know, that is clearly a space of power or when I visit all those huge Catholic churches or when I, you know, in Latin America, when I visit a Catholic church, I, it's, it's quite dangerous because I was like, I know how they got that gold. <laughs> I know yeah. who suffered to build these walls, mm -hmm. going back to the building of walls, to the building of empire. So I look to how do you eradicate that and how do we create a space that um, we can come back to elements. And that's why mm -hmm. I, I love so much working with Ben for many years is because you know, when I feel cotton in my hands, I feel dirt in my hands, I feel e these elements of, you know, being close to flowers and water. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's how my grandmother grew up, you know. She was a coffee farmer, and uh, she was, her hands were in the dirt every day. So I, mm -hmm. how, how do I carve a space to be in relationship to that? And I think this the mm -hmm. points so much to the work that... Uh, that Ben has been doing with communities for so for so long. Yeah. There is something that you've said that is linked to this that just rings in my mind as such a central uh, core place we're moving in this piece. And you said to um, worship, to truly worship a God, you must become it. And um, I'm just like sitting with that as you're talking about creating sacred space, right? Because then you must become that sacred space. Yeah. Like you actually, your body has to contain that for mm. it to exist anywhere. Mm. And what you're talking about, I just really love the examination of power and extension of that into physical material worlds. Um, can you say more about that? Can you say more about this becoming that is necessary and... You know, like, and for, and for La, La Negra. Mm -hmm. I think La Negra, um, for me, her, her transformation from child prostitute to being one of the most powerfully feared women in, in her region, that kind of transformation, um, I really look at the, the body of women um, as not only, the bodies of, bodies of women have already been objectified and made into these symbols, but, like, everything... Every, all of the violence that colonialism, like the actual violence and the act of cultural erasure has was done on women's bodies. Like our bodies are the earth. We are, right? We, we, La, La Santa is that, that holy, powerful figure, this idea that, you know, why do I, when I look at La Santa, I look at, I see life. I see birth. Even though she's a symbol of death, mm -hmm. I immediately think, oh, La Santa is 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 birthing there's so much power power there um and so i i very i felt really strongly that w making this particular play because this play is part of a, a cycle in which I'm, I'm writing a play for each latin american country and when i thought about mexico of course i um when i i i immediately said that it has to be 
all of these my my plays are being told through the through not only through I, uh, this word is being so overused esta cultura palabra the the lens of women no it's being told through the body of women because the history is in the body of women those who are maintaining the culture is the body of women so the transformation had to be you know you see from the opening monologue to to the very end it's it it is a transformation of the body itself um, and that that transformation from one dimension to the other, right? And you know, I'm sure many people look at Western texts. They say, "What what is this transformation of, you know, La Negra, this drug lord who becomes this deity?" Um, that there's uh, there's not this like very Western linear logic to it, um, because they are they are not accustomed to being in 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 relationship to this transformation. Right, if spiritually, if when you spiritually evolve, you have to. There is a transformation that happens in the body, right? And for myself, um, that I've, I've had so much violence enacted against me, I had to spiritually transform in order for that violence not to kill my body, right? So I think there's something there also that La Negra, that La Negra transforms in, in that that power of be, of becoming the that thing that she wants to worship in order to survive, in order to transcend to another spiritual realm mm. Mm. yeah that, what a what a powerful shield you're offering people in terms of undergoing something you know the that we are able to spiritually emotionally transform to to survive uh, thank you thank you for mm. that um, I've got a couple more minutes is there anything that you've been really intrigued about in this process that you didn't, that has been surprising you, either of you? That you're like, we started this and I did not think we would be coming up with that thing or this would be really be about this. I mean, I mean, I still have to, to face these challenges, <laughs> um, <laughs> like tomorrow. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, just, I, I love... And, you know, I'm challenging myself. I'm totally out of my comfort zone in the sense of, like, building building an ofrenda for this. It's totally different than the last time we worked together when we worked at High Arts. Because it was very, like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's, I can place an ofrenda in the corner. That's easy. I can do that with my eyes closed. That's that's fine. And this one's like, all right, so we're not going to do any of that stuff that's really comfortable for you. You're going to do something totally different. You're going to make an ofrenda that someone's going to lie on, and then it's going to be built, and it's going to be rolled around. And it's like, that's a lot. And it's it's scary. It's mm-hmm. scary for me. But I'm super excited to try mm-hmm. it and to see what we will learn. Because this mm-hmm. might be a whole new thing that I've never seen a rolling ofrenda before, <laughs> and I've never seen in in a thea- in a theater piece like like that being used that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that was probably was really most surprising is that um, for me the play is never finished, and I'm I'm in I'm in such a, a position of awe with the designers because they. I, I I look at something I wrote and I'm like, how are they gonna do that? Mm. How are they gonna? Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, it's it's so phenomenal to be in that space of um, that visioning and manifestation that um, that come only comes from collaboration. You know, yeah. and that the, the designers have have um, have really found these concrete w- ways to place 
not only like cultural context, like feeling and texture, but just also just magic. You know, mm. how, yeah. how is it that you um, that you create this world that for me, I'm still discovering, you know? Yeah, I think we're discovering it together from the reality of a drug compound in Tijuana mm. to a spiritual transformation into a god. And somewhere there we found Fever Dream. And somewhere there we found these sort of ways in which we're pulling time and space apart to have enough space for mm. all of that together. You know, so like um, I'll answer my own question, too. <laughs> but uh, today we just talked to our sound designer, Drew, and we were talking about different ways of how do we think about this scene where 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 we're in the land of the dead. Right. And there are two skull figures and they're talking to La Negra and we're like, well, how do people talk in the land of the dead? Mm. <laughs> are they just That's sitting dope. hanging out with a cup of tea? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. does that really happen? And I have no idea that we will end up doing this. But for instance, I just want to share with you the, the way we're thinking. He said, like, well, what if, you know, like some I, I don't remember who said what, but like it could be like really, really loud. And we see like subtitles. Mm. And like just like they're 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 basically talking through thought, right? So like that's one way, mm. and then we start riffing off of that. And then he was like, "Well, what if like they're like dropping stones, and then you see the text, and the stone will drop, and you see the text appears, oh, cool. and then she speaks Amazing. back. She's able to speak back, right? Mm. Like because she's still in both places, so maybe mm. she can speak. But how are they going to speak in the land of the dead? That is a very interesting." thing to figure out that's cool right yeah. so we're like thinking up all of these beautiful ways and i love that we get to play and we're so grateful to brick lab for having us here in this place where we don't have to move the ofrenda <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to Thank pack you. it up every yeah. night yeah. we can sort of build it in there and we can sort of get in there roll around find a theatr theatrical possibilities towards this um you know, we call it theatrical installation event to honor your dead. Like, it, like that is always happening inside of us. Like, we actually carry that. We're actually always carrying theatrical installations, and an, and we are an event to honor our dead. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just really excited by this group that are all thinking in that way to offer something through the story. Thank you, Mian. Um, before we wrap up, Raquel, we were talking before we started recording, and I wanted to make sure you got to say everything you wanted to say about the importance of this piece today in mm -hmm. 2019 and um, what it means for Mexico, the perceptions that we have of Mexico, and I'm using we as a, a mm -hmm. royal we, but yeah. I want to make sure you got to say all that you wanted to say about that. Absolutely. And I, I think when I when I first start speaking about this piece to people and say oh, it's about a female drug lord, um, that there is already so much, so many harm, harmful, stereotypical um, representation of of Mexican people. I mean, you already have this bad hombres, um, and that this piece is is really reframing that um, that this completely just. I, I just think this is a, a very one-dimensional view of who, quote unquote, who we find who are criminals, who are who are coming across the U.S. border. There's some part of it in the play, but I adjusted some text um, because when you dare to criminalize children, 
um, and attack the talk the bodies of children and there's so much relationship in the play about of children and la negra really the the only thing that's keeping her into this into this world is um or her her relationship with these hundreds of street children and um i and so there there's some imagery there for for me that's very 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 important because there is so many people um that are that are crossing you know my family crossed the border and that that narrative also is is also now is so stereotypically handled right now also in the media and this current current administration it is an attack on mexico this idea of building this wall um and that the a wall i go back to this wall that that's what these people do they build walls and we are trying to dismantle these walls um so that I, i just feel that this piece is it's 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 a cry to look at the conditions in which and the complicit you know the complicit nature in which the United States has has created this war, and the, how they have fed this war, and um, I I just think it's it's incredibly important to talk about that because Ben and I we did there was one event we did specifically to honor those that had died crossing, and continue to die crossing continue to 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 die in detainment. Um, so we hope that also this is uh, this is another way to to look at those that have been stereotypically represented and to how do we really f- honor this this world so that we can see the origins of um, before we just call it this the uh, the cartels or the you know these people that need to be eradicated uh, we can just look at it in a more you know humanitarian way. And, and really look at the origins and like looking at the actual you know research in terms of the relationship between the United States and, and Mexico because you know people love to eat uh, avocados <laughs> but they don't want the bodies yeah. they don't yeah. want our bodies but they want our avocados and that's not they want <laughs> they, they want our food in style but they don't want our brown bodies mm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you for that. Uh, well, I know that y'all have, you can hear the Texas of, um, coming out, that y'all have a another place to be, have more interviews, more people who want to talk to you. So um, um, we'll we'll wrap up here. Um, but I wanted to thank you all for being here in the studio with me, Mian. Thank you for co-hosting. It was amazing to be able to sit back and listen to your great questions and these um, incredible artists answering those questions. So um, if you want to come to La Negra, a theatrical installation and event to honor your dead, we have showings on Thursday and Friday, September 26th. 6th and 27th here at Brick in the Artist Studio at 7 o'clock. These are work in progress showings. Um, I often call them an offering, which I think is really Beautiful. <laughs> apt. Um, the, it's the artists um, showing an offering of what they're working on, um, a place in the middle of the process. It is a process-based residency, and so if you do choose to come, audience and listeners, you are coming in as part of the process. Um, so that is September 26th and 27th at 7 o'clock. Thank you again, Mayan Teo, Raquel Mazan, and Ben Rojas for being with me here today. Um, I am your host, co-host today, mm-hmm. BJ Evans. This has been another episode of Backstage at Brick, recorded here at Brick Arts Media in the studio, the podcast studio. And we will be back here in a couple of weeks with another artist to talk to. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
strangers. Make